So today we come to Genesis chapter 38. So you can go ahead and open your Bibles up there. Last week we began to study about Joseph. And we saw how he was sold into slavery by his brothers. Cast aside, even though he will ultimately be their Savior, as I talked about last week in the physical sense. This morning we will briefly divert from the story of Joseph and we will focus on one of his brothers, Judah. Judah is the one that made the decision to sell Joseph. And let's go ahead and read verse 1. It says, It came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adolamite whose name was Hira. Now, an Adolamite is simply a person that lived in a, a place called Adolam, which was a city or a town, if you will, that existed during this time period that we're reading about here right now. And Adolam does not exist anymore. But once again, we are going to get a picture here painted for us of someone being in a place where they should not be. If you remember, we talked about that same thing when uh, Jacob settled his family in a place called Shechem, and some bad things happened while Jacob was there. Again, we need to be aware in this life, how this applies to us is we need to be aware in this life that our choices have great consequences, and bad company does indeed corrupt good morals. It does matter who we mix with. Judah is now mixing with a people that do not represent good morals. But we've already taken note to Judah's character back there in chapter 37, where, as I've mentioned, we saw that he, it was his idea to sell his brother Joseph into slavery. And last week I pointed out to you some things from chapter 37 that show us that Jesus, or Joseph, excuse me, was a picture of Jesus given to us here in the book of Genesis. Joseph was loved above all by his father, Jacob. Jesus was loved by God above all, his father. Joseph pointed out the wrongdoing of his brothers, And Jesus, as the light of the world, cast a spotlight on our sin. Joseph's brothers hated him and did not want him around. And Jesus' own people wanted to kill him and to get rid of him as well. Joseph was sold for a sum of money, as was Jesus. Joseph, we'll see in later chapters, will be the savior, as I mentioned, of his brothers in the physical sense. And Jesus is the Savior of the world in a spiritual sense. The only way that one's soul can be saved is through Jesus Christ. But in chapter 38 here, we are diverted from this story of Joseph. Joseph is now out of the picture. Judah's decision to sell Joseph into slavery has rid the entire family of the presence of Joseph. And I want you to think about that, right? Judah's decision to sell Joseph into slavery has rid the entire family of the presence of Joseph. And with Judah, what we will now see is a man that will make a mess of his life. 
with a messed up family, okay? And I submit to you this morning that when Jesus, our Savior, is cast out of the picture of our lives, we will indeed make a, light, a mess of our lives as well from the spiritual sense. We'll make a spiritual mess. But let's go ahead, keep that in mind as we study this about Judah here, okay? Verse two, and Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he married her and went into her. So she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. And she conceived yet again and bore a son and called his name Shelah. He was at Chazib when she bore him. So pause right there. We will soon see here, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, that this is going to be very, one very messed up family, dysfunctional to say the least. But you know, I don't believe that any of us can ever point fingers at anyone else because we too are, or at least have been, dysfunctional in one way, shape, or form in our lives. Only Jesus can make all things new. Only Jesus can make all things good for us from an internal standpoint and change us from the inside out. And I believe if we're honest, we'll admit that we all have fallen short in one way, shape, or form, right? But Judah here, his first mistake was to take a wife from amongst the Canaanite people. And please keep in mind when I say that, I'm not talking about races of people intermarrying, right? I'm talking about being unequally yoked from the spiritual standpoint. If you remember back when we studied chapter 34 of Genesis, I showed you how the name Canaan meant lowland. And if you remember back even further, we talked about how Noah cursed his son Ham's son Canaan, right? And the Canaanites were always a a low-life group of people in that sense in those days. They worshipped false gods. They committed all kinds of immorality. And be careful here not to confuse the term Canaan because indeed it is true that the Canaanites were the people that dwelled in the land of Canaan, but the land of Canaan was also the promised land, the land that God gave to the Israelites. The Canaanites would eventually migrate out of that area and settle in the land of which is now Egypt. Egypt was originally called Mizraim, and Mizraim was a son of Ham's, as was Canaan. So we go all the way back to Noah, Noah's son Ham. Uh, Ham had a son named Mizraim, and, and Egypt was originally named Mizraim when the Canaanites, you know, migrated there. But again, as I did when we studied chapter 4, the point that I want to make to you here is that as born-again Christians, a, as disciples of Jesus Christ, someone that has turned away from the ways of the world, we must make choices today that show that we are on the highland and not in the lowland, okay? Choices that lead us to righteous living. Because as I've pointed out to you a few times, this world will offer to us on a daily basis the opportunity to come and live with it in the lowland, right? To, to take the wrong path. But again, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to be pressing on toward a higher calling. 
right? The mark of our high calling in Jesus Christ. And as I've pointed out several times as well, we're just passing through this place. We have an eternal home. And Judah here, though, he has chosen the lowland in the sense that he went and he mixed with the wrong people. Uh, He's chosen the wrong way to live, the path away from righteousness, or more simply put, the path away from just what is right. See, oftentimes people trip up on that word righteousness, but it just means doing what is right, living in a right manner, right? And verse 6 here continues and says, Then Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar or Tamar, right? Now let's go ahead and pause right here again because I think it's important that we establish the right viewpoint of this woman Tamar here because a lot of people when they think of Tamar, they think of her in a certain way and you'll see why as we go on. But first of all, I want to point out that her name means palm tree. And I don't know if you've ever thought about a palm tree. It's a very upright tree, a very strong tree, amazingly able to persevere during some of the most powerful storms, hurricanes and such, right? It's able to bow down in a storm, but not be broken, right? And this is what Tamar's name means here. She is a picture of integrity, actually. And you're going to see that as we go on here. But her husband, the man chosen for her by Judah, right? Again, uh, someone that represents for you and me a man that has sold out to the world and has cast away his Savior. Remember, he did that with Joseph. He cast him away, right? A man on the wrong path in life, Judah. And poor Tamar here ends up with a son of Judah's for a husband. Judah's son, Ur, was not a good man at all. Look at verse 7. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. Now, we have no idea what this man's wickedness was. It's not recorded for us in the Bible in detail. But if the Lord went to such great lengths to rid the earth of him, then he must have been pretty bad wicked, right? Then verse 8 continues, and Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an heir to your brother. Okay, so this was something that was just very uh, customary back in these days, right? To honor the dead brother, another brother would step in to carry on his name. But my question to you is, did this man Ur deserve this kind of honor, right? Uh, you would think that if his father had any sense, if Judah had any sense of righteousness, he might not want to see another man like Ur come onto the earth again for whatever reason, however wicked he was that the Lord decided to rid the earth from him, right? It was the Lord himself that made that decision. Verse 9, but Onan knew that the heir would not be his, and it came to pass when he went into his brother's wife that he admitted on the ground lest he should give an heir to his brother. So here we see another very non-integrable kind of guy in Onan, don't we? It's all about him. It's, it's all about what's good for him. He could care less about looking out for his brother's interest here, right? Judah has done a real bang-up job of raising a couple boys here, it seems. And you know, even today, there are many earthly fathers that don't put much time and effort into raising their children. 
They think it's enough to just feed and clothe them and maybe go watch a sporting event or two with them or go out to their games and such. But it matters greatly that we as parents, right, that, 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 that desire for our children to walk with the Lord, it's very important that we pour into our children spiritually. Okay? It's, it's easy and it's, it's a good thing and nothing wrong with it, of course, to want to provide for our children physically and, and see them happy and healthy as they go through this life. But we really need to make sure that we pour into our children spiritually, drill good morals into them in a loving way, put on display for them a life of faithfulness and integrity. Above all, teach them in the ways of the Word of God that they too may grow to walk in paths of righteousness because the Lord cares about these type of things and He is indeed watching. The Lord is watching. And He is watching here in this situation in verse 10 tells us, and the thing which He did displeased the Lord. Therefore, He killed him also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till my son Shelah is grown. For he said, Lest he also die like his brothers. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. So Judah still doesn't get it here. His two boys didn't just die, right? They were killed by the Lord because of their wickedness, because of their wicked ways. And nowhere in this do we see Judah lament or repent, nor of what he did to Joseph, right? He doesn't cry out to the Lord for forgiveness for the way that he has lived his life and the way that he has directed his family, even though two of his boys were just taken off the earth by the Lord. You think he might get a clue about his family and the way he's living and the, way, the choices that he's making. Because, you know, the answer really is that simple for the person that is not walking in the ways of the Lord, the person that has cast away their Savior, as Judah did. The answer is to be remorseful of our past choices, remorseful for the life that we lived apart from the Lord. Repent and turn unto Him and and be born again, and you will then be placed on paths of righteousness. You won't be perfect because it will be a life that you have to live by faith, right? And you will still trip up as you go through this fallen world. But now the difference will be is that the Lord will be walking with you because you have invited him into your life and he will fill you with his Holy Spirit and you will have guidance and direction to walk through this life and an understanding of the word of the Lord. Your eyes will be open to the truth, the spiritual truth, because again, Jesus is the way the truth, and the life. In speaking to the woman at the well in the Gospel of John chapter 4, Jesus told her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He said that whoever drinks of the water that he gives will never thirst, but the water that he gives will become in him, in that person, a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. You see, that's the number one choice that every human being must make, the choice to come to their Creator or not. And our Creator has given us a way back to Him in His Son, Jesus Christ. And we can toss our Savior aside, 
Again, keep in mind last week's study where they sold Joseph, right? We can toss our Savior aside, cast him into a pit, and maybe say, I'll come back for him later, as the brothers of Joseph did, right? As one of them did anyway. He said, I'm going to come back for him. But he wasn't there when he came back. It was too late. It was too late. They had already cast him aside, put him in the pit. And it was too late. Now, of course, the other choice that people make is to not receive him, but the choice that people need to make is to receive him now and to commit our lives to him entirely, to seek him not only on Sundays or one day a week, but actually to seek him daily in our lives, to establish our lives on spiritual things and to to be fixed on have our eyes fixed on Jesus. Again, Judah is a picture for us here, though, of someone that chose the wrong path. And he keeps devising his own ways here, right? So his new plan is to tell Tamar that she needs to go away for a while until his son Shelah grows up. And chances are that this kid is not going to be too much of a good thing either, right? But verse 12 continues and says, Now in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted and went up to the sheep shearers at Timnah. He and his friend Herah the Adulamite. And it was told Tamar, saying, Look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she took off her widow's garment covered herself with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place which was on the way to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown and she was not given to him as a wife. Okay, so Tamar, in her integrity and uprightness, has waited and waited for her husband to carry on the name of Judah's family to do what was right. He had promised her, Judah had promised her, that when Shelah was grown, that he would be a husband to her. But he didn't keep his word. Judah didn't keep his word. And Tamar wants to carry on the name of her first husband's family. And Tamar was greatly used by God. Now why do I say that Tamar was greatly used by God? Well, I've mentioned to you Matthew chapter 1 a few times in our study of Genesis thus far, but let's go ahead and turn there for a few moments. Mark this page and turn to the book of uh, Matthew chapter 1 in the New Testament, the first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1. And let's start reading in verse 1. So again, I said, I mentioned that Tamar was used greatly by God. Verse 1, Matthew chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. This is the line we're following here, right? Judah begot Perez and Zerah by... Tamar, Tamar. Okay, so pause right there. There we see the woman Tamar. 
She had twins, which we will see as we go on in the story in Genesis. Uh, From her, though, would descend the Messiah, Jesus Christ. She was of the line of the Messiah. If you drop down to verse 16 in Matthew here, it says, And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. So that's what this chapter does. It follows that line all the way down to Jesus Christ. And Tamar was there. She was greatly used by God. And this is why I said that, because from her would descend the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, and Judah would be the, the father of her twin boys. Now let's flip back to Genesis chapter 38 to get that story that I'm talking about. Tamar has faithfully waited and waited to no avail. She did what she was supposed to do. She went back to her father's house to wait for Shelah. But Judah didn't keep his word. Shelah was already grown and he he wasn't given to her as a husband. So she takes off her widow garments there in verse 38, covers her face and goes out and stands along the roadside. Okay, then picking it up in verse 15, when Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot because she had covered her face. Now, was she a harlot? No, she was not a harlot. She was an upright woman, a woman that did what was right and waited for the husband that she was promised. And in this case, she had to do what she had to do because God knew what no one else knew at this point in time. God knew. Okay, that from this woman Tamar and from this man Judah would descend the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Okay, so even in this, it's all God's plan. Verse 16, then he turned to her by the way and said, please let me come into you, for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, What will you give me that you may come into me? And he said, I will send you a young goat from the flock. So she said, will you give me a pledge to you send it? Then he said, what pledge shall I give you? So she said, your signet and cord and your staff that is in your hand. Then he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him. Now a signet is a small seal that was most often set into a ring that one would wear usually on their finger. Instead of signing for a document, right, this signet was a special mark or a stamp of a signature for an official document and things like that, right? It had a mark on it that was unique to the owner of it. In this case, it was on a cord, we're told there. So Judah may have been wearing it around his neck on a cord. But the bottom line here is... A price was agreed upon, and Tamar was going to just wasn't was not going to just take his word for it, because she she's already known that he has not proven to be a man of his word or a good man in that way, right? So this thing takes place and is done, and then verse 19 says, So she arose and went away, and laid aside her veil and put on the garments of her widow widowhood. Okay? So that's just basically telling us that she went back to being the widow that she was, right? Then verse 20, And Judah sent the young goat by the hand of his friend, the Adulamite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand. 
but he did not find her. Then he asked the men of that place, saying, Where is the harlot who was openly by the roadside? And they said, There was no harlot in this place. So he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also the men of the place said that there was no harlot in this place. And again, that's a very true statement. There was no harlot in that place. Just a woman named Tamar, a widow of integrity that just wanted to do what was right, just wanted to have what was right be done. Verse 23, Then Judah said, Let her take them for herself, lest we be shamed. For I sent this young goat, and you have not found her. So Judah just basically instructs his friend just to leave it there, just to leave the goat there and and move on, right? Verse 24, And it came to pass about three months after that, Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. So Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. So Tamar has finally started to show three months along here that she was pregnant. And as we talked about a few weeks back, a woman pregnant outside of marriage is considered to be a harlot because from a biblical standpoint, sex is for marriage only. But here this hypocrite Judah is acting upset that Tamar is pregnant without a husband. But let's see what happens here. When she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law saying, By the man to whom these belong, I am with child. And she said, Please determine who, whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. So Tamar presents the smoking gun here, right? An incriminating piece of evidence. Verse 26. So Judah acknowledged them and said, She has been more righteous than I, because I did not give her to Shelah my son, and he never knew her again. So verse 26 there uh, presents to us some very important information in our story today. For one, Tamar was righteous. She was not a harlot. There was not a harlot in that place the day that Judah passed by. Tamar did what was right, what she felt she had to do. And finally, Judah admits it here that why she did it, because he didn't do what he was supposed to do. Okay. And secondly, we see there that Judah never knew her again. He was never with her again in a sexual way. Verse 27, Now it came to pass at the time for giving birth that, behold, twins were in her womb. And so it was when she was giving birth that the one put out his hand, and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it on his hand, saying, This one come out, came out first. Now, as we have also talked about in past studies, The birthright was very, very important in those days. The firstborn son got that birthright, and he got the majority share of all that was left to him by his father after his father's death. So the midwife here, knowing how important this was, and knowing that there was twins in Tamar's womb, wanted to be sure and designate which child was born first. So she had a piece of scarlet thread sitting by, so that she could use it as a marker. And the child, Zerah, 
whose name we saw in Matthew chapter 1 as well, he put out his hand first and the midwife quickly tied the scarlet thread around his finger. But God had different plans. Perez was to be the one that was firstborn. And from Perez would descend Jesus Christ, as we also saw. Well, I didn't read that far into it, but you can see that if you go back to Matthew chapter 1. Now, the name Perez means breach, and we will see that as we go on here. Verse 29, Then it happened as he drew back his hand, Zerah that is, that his brother came out unexpectedly. And she said, this is the midwife, right? She said, how did you break forth? How did you break through? This breach be upon you. Therefore, his name was called Perez. Afterwards, his brother came out who had the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. Now, as you think about it, this had to be somewhat miraculous, did it not? Because here is this one baby pretty much near the birth canal, right, you could say, and he had to be blocking the way by his body because his hand is sticking out. Then unexpectedly, here comes Perez, and the midwife is astonished that this took place. She can't fathom how this could have happened. But again, it's God's will that is done, not man's will that is done. And from Perez would come the Messiah. And do you know what a breach is, right? If we think about the word breach in the legal sense, it means that you might hear like the breach of contract, for example, right? But it's an, it's an act of breaking or failing to observe a law, agreement, or a code of conduct. That's what a breach is. It's the act of failing to observe a law, an agreement, or a code of conduct. And the midwife proclaims that this breaking of the law, this failure of conduct, is upon this baby, Perez. And again, many years later would come a baby boy from that line that would come into the world whose name is Jesus. And he would grow up to take the weight of sin upon himself. All of the breaching of the world, all of the failure of conduct of everyone in the world, all of the breaking of law, all of the sin of the world would come upon the Savior, Jesus, and He would suffer for it. And He would ultimately die for our sake. But in this chapter, we've seen some dysfunctional people, people that needed a Savior, people that needed a solution to the problem of sinful living. And it's amazing to me how we see in Genesis the Lord just continued to work time and time again through a group of people that fall so short. And ultimately, as many years would go by, God himself would become flesh and dwell among dysfunctional men and women, people like me and you that need the Lord. He would become one of us in order to save us. And again, we are all dysfunctional and in need of a Savior, in need of forgiveness. And God in His grace has given us that opportunity to come to Him, the opportunity to start all over, the opportunity to begin again. And maybe like Judah did with Joseph, maybe you've cast away the one that is to be your Savior. You've sold Him for just a little bit of money. Or maybe like Benjamin, who we read about last week, you've just 
put the Savior aside for a while so that you can go on living the way you want to live and you figure, well, I'll come back and I'll, I'll get the Savior later. Right? But again, it was too late for Benjamin at that point. Excuse me, it was not Benjamin, it was actually Reuben that cast Joseph aside along with the other brothers, but said he, he would come back for him later. But the Savior is re relentless in seeking you out. He leaves the 99 and to come and to find you and me, the one that is lost. Judah was a lost man, a selfish man that cared only about his life and his will being done. And he raised a few boys to even be worse than he was. But thankfully for you and me today, if we're hearing this message, it's, it's not too late to turn around, to repent and to honor the Savior in the way that we live our lives, right? To live a life that portrays a palm tree, standing tall, standing strong, being able to bend and to bow to the awesome power of our Lord and God. Maybe the storms of this life, the hurricanes of this life have beat you up in one way or another. But our maker stands ready for us to cast all of our cares upon him for he indeed cares for us. But we can't cast our savior aside. And again, this world on a daily basis will offer us the opportunity, even those who profess faith in Jesus Christ and are seeking after Him, there will be opportunity for us to cast them aside and fix our eyes on something else. But we can't do that. We have to stay the course. We have to keep walking by faith with our eyes fixed on the Lord. Because we see a life in Judah here of a man that cast his Savior aside and we see what happens in his life, the kind of life you end up with. It's just a messed up life when you're not seeking the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy in our lives. Thank you that you have not left us comfortless and alone. Thank you that you have come into the world to seek and to save that which was lost, Lord, of which all of us were and all of us are without you. So we need you, Lord, every hour. We need you with, with every breath we take. We acknowledge that fact. We ask that by your Spirit you will continue to work within us to mold and to shape us to be the men and the women that you desire for us to be. We pray that your will would be done in our lives. And Lord, that... We would fix our eyes on you above all else and give you just the, the, the foremost place in our lives, Lord, that we would not be distracted by the things of this world, Lord. 
We're sojourners, we're pilgrims, we're just passing through as we have seen in our past studies, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we will not live in any other way, Lord, but that we will just desire to to serve you with all of our heart, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Again, we just acknowledge you and we just thank you for this day and the beginning of a new week. And we pray your will be done in it all. In Jesus' name, amen.